everybody. Welcome to Come Follow Me Daily Dose. I'm Lindsay Hansen, and today is May 5th. Today, we're going to continue the teachings of Abinadi. We're actually not going to cover Mosiah chapter 14. And the reason is, is that Mosiah chapter 14 is pretty much the same as Isaiah 53. And I covered Isaiah 53 on April 8th as part of my Easter week preparation. So if you want to learn more about Mosiah chapter 14, I encourage you to head over to my April 8th podcast and take a listen to the teachings about Isaiah 53 that are found there. So today, you guys, we're actually going to jump right in to Mosiah chapter 15. Now, you guys, these next chapters are so rich. They are incredible and they are packed full of doctrine about the atonement of Jesus Christ. And I am so excited to study them. So today we're going to start out in chapter 15, verse 1, which says, And now, Abinadi said unto them, I would that ye should understand that God himself shall come down among the children of men and redeem his people. Now, it's important to recognize here that even though Abinadi says God himself, he's speaking about Christ. And what's so amazing about this verbiage and about this doctrine is that he solidifies the understanding that Christ was a God in the premortal existence that he was a god before he ever came to this earth. Now, do you remember when the angel asked Nephi, knowest thou the condescension of God? Condescension is a word that means a voluntary descent from one's rank. So there the angel is asking Nephi, do you understand how God descended? How a god with the power to create the earth came down and became a helpless baby, an immortal man subject to the pains and the afflictions of the body. It's such a powerful doctrine when you come to think about and understand that condescension of God and what it really meant for the Savior to leave his heavenly throne and come to earth as a baby. In the book, The Infinite Atonement, Tad R. Callister said this, Oh, the magnitude of that sacrifice, that condescension. That night, God the Son traded his heavenly home with all its celestial adornments, for a mortal abode, with all its primitive trappings. He, the King of heaven, the Lord omnipotent who reigneth, left a throne to inherit a manger. He exchanged the dominion of a god for the dependence of a babe. He gave up wealth, power, dominion, and the fullness of his glory. For what? For taunting, mocking, humiliation, and subjection. It was a trade of unparalleled dimension, a condescension of incredible proportions, a descent of incalculable depth. And so, the great Jehovah, creator of worlds without number, infinite in virtue and power, made his entry into this world in swaddling clothes and a manger. So Abinadi is really trying to help these people understand the magnitude that a God himself came down among the children of men, and that he did that so that he could pay our debt, so that he could buy us back from our fallen state, so that he could redeem us. Now in verse 2, it says, And because he dwelleth in the flesh, he shall be called the Son of God, and having subjected the flesh to the will of the Father, being the Father and the Son. So why the Father and the Son? These verses get a little bit confusing and a little bit tricky because 
Abinadi is referring to Christ, but he's calling him God and he's calling him the Father. But Christ can legitimately be called our Father because he is the creator of all the physical. He is the creator of this world. He's also considered the father of our spiritual rebirth through the atonement. And he can also be called the father because of something called divine investiture, which is where Christ was given the authority by God to speak for God. In the book Christ in the New Covenant, Elder Holland said this, As Abinadi taught, Christ was conceived by the power of God and therefore has the powers of the father within him. In addition to that divine lineal relationship, Christ also acts as the Father in that he is the creator of heaven and earth, is the father of our spiritual rebirth and salvation, and is faithful in honoring, and therefore claiming the power of, the will of his Father above that of his own will. So when Abinadi says he's the Father and the Son, there are several reasons why he can claim that title. And it's important to understand that. Now, as if this weren't already a little bit confusing, (laughs) Abinadi goes on in verse four and he says, and they are one God, yea, the very eternal father of heaven and earth. Now, this gets confusing because it sounds like Abinadi is teaching the classic Nicene idea of a trinity, three gods in one actual God. And that's not what Abinadi was teaching here. I like to think of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost being one, kind of like when you have a pen. When you have a pen, you have the inside part that holds the ink. You have the outside part that acts as a casing, and you have the pen cap. Those are three separate distinct parts with three separate distinct purposes. Yet when put together, they function as one pen. And it's the same thing with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. They are three separate, distinct gods with three separate, distinct purposes for our salvation. Yet when they work together for our salvation, they become one in purpose. It was never meant for us to believe that they were one physical God. When Christ commands his disciples to become one, even as his father and he are one, he wasn't commanding his disciples to become one in body. He was commanding them to become one one in purpose, just as he was one in purpose with his Father in heaven. And that's a really important distinction to understand. Abinadi goes on to continue to teach about Christ when he says, And after all this, after working many mighty miracles among the children of men, he shall be led, yea, even as Isaiah said, as a sheep before the shearer is dumb, so he opened not his mouth, and even so he shall be led, crucified, and slain, the flesh becoming subject, even unto death, the will of the Son being swallowed up in the will of the Father. I love these verses and what it teaches us about Christ's attribute of submission. Christ's perfection and his total submission gave him the power to satisfy justice for us, gave him the power to be our Savior and to redeem us. Elder Nile Maxwell, in his book, That Ye May Believe, said, It was all made possible by the Savior's splendid submissiveness. He did voluntarily what he was not forced to do. It was something no other child of God could do. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. 
yea, even so he shall be led, crucified and slain, the flesh becoming subject even unto death, the will of the Son being swallowed up in the will of the Father. The imagery and theology of this verse tell us that Jesus was totally, perfectly, and fully consecrated. Being swallowed up means being totally enveloped without question, protest, reservation, or resentment. It is all the way, not halfway. Choosing such spiritual submission is the highest act of deliberate individual will. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. Though Jesus was thus swallowed up, though Jesus's will was swallowed up, we certainly don't notice any diminution of Jesus's individuality after the atonement, do we? In fact, not only was he resplendent, but after the resurrection, amid some of his sheep, he declared that his joy was now full. Consecration enhances individuality. Furthermore, when we are swallowed up in his will, we will also know what it is like to be swallowed up in the joy of Christ. My friends, one of the purposes of this life is to learn how to overcome selfishness and submit our will to God. As we submit, as we consecrate ourselves, and as we begin to see the windows of heaven open, our joy can also be made full because we are becoming more like the Savior, submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, and willing to submit all things to the will of the Father. As we learn to turn our will over to the Father, I testify that our joy can also be full, that we will not lose ourselves in that submission, but we will find our truest selves. Thank you so much for listening today. This has been Come Follow Me Daily Dose, and I'm Lindsay Hansen. 